Welcome to Principles of Faith with Scott Gray. In this teaching series, Scott explores the biblical truths of the other reality. (laughs) We're not going to end it today, so you have to come back for more. This is going to be five parts, and each part probably won't be in one week. So this is going to be for a while. (laughs) So fasten your seatbelts. This one's going to be quite in-depth, but I believe you're going to really get a lot out of this. So let's pray, and let's just ask the Holy Spirit for what He's promised to do for us and to be to us, which is our teacher, right? Jesus, when he left, he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you another comforter. See, Jesus was their comforter to all of his followers when he was here on the earth. But he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the Father and send you back another comforter. And he won't just be with you. He's going to be in you. And he will teach you and he will guide you into all the truth. And so that's what we want. We want to be guided into all the truth. We don't want to be guided just into the facts, right? Because there's lots of facts going on out there. There's lots of trivia. There's lots of things going on. A lot of it is, is wrong. <laughs> Confusion. You know, there's all this going on about fake this and fake that and fake the other. You can't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you hear. But you can believe everything that the Holy Spirit reveals to you. Amen? All right. So let's pray and let's just release our faith that the Holy Spirit is going to teach us something today. If He chooses to use me, great. But do you know He can speak to you even while I'm speaking? It's not dependent on what I say. If you'll open up your heart to Him, He'll speak to you beyond or in addition to or opening up whatever I might say. So let's just believe for that. Amen? Does it cost any more to believe for the whole thing? No, it doesn't. All right. Thank you, Father. We're just honored today to to have the opportunity first that we could come and worship you because you're so, so, so worthy of us to take time and worship. Nothing greater that we could ever do in our life, nothing higher we're ever called to do than to worship you and bring glory to you. And Jesus, your, your name is above every name that is named in heaven and on earth. And so we just want to lift you up and we thank you that we had the opportunity to do that. We want to continue to do that. Because we want our our lives to honor you in the rest of this service and as we leave here today. And so, Holy Spirit, we know you were sent to be our guide. To be the one who comes alongside with us. And the one that lives in us. If we've asked Jesus into our hearts, you're that down payment that he said he would put down on the inside of us. For great things to come. And so, Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge you. You are a very distinct personality. And you are God. And we acknowledge you today and we ask you for what you were sent to do that we come into agreement with and we ask you for revelation of God's Word today. We ask you to give us what it is that you intend for us to receive. We may not know what that is, but you do. You know the the exact mind of God. And we thank you that your Word says that we have the mind of Christ. So we can can take it if, if, if we receive it. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us understanding along with it and wisdom. Just say this with me. Say, thank you, Holy Spirit for being present with us today, for being in us today. And Holy Spirit, I receive revelation knowledge of God's Word. And I also receive wisdom and understanding that goes with it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, if you believe that, then you release your faith and put anything out of your mind that you walked in the door with and just focus on what you just just said out of your mouth. You know, words are powerful. We're going to talk about that more next week. But words are very powerful. So, 
we're, we're talking about the other reality. Do you know there's two, there's two um, realms of reality that are going on simultaneously? Say, what's the matter with you? You live in an alternate universe? Yeah, I do, and I'm trying to live there even more. <laughs> and you might think I'm weird, but stick around because I'm going to explain it to you. But there is another alternate reality, you might say, that's going on right now with this natural reality that you can contact with your five physical senses. You can feel, touch, smell, taste, see, all these things that's in the natural world, right? You go, you go pick a good apple off the tree or out of the refrigerator if you don't have an apple tree, and you bite into it. Can you physically experience the apple? Well, unless all your taste buds are burned out, you can. And you can physically experience it. And if, and if it's the kind you like, whether I don't know if you like Golden Delicious or Granny Smith's or, or Fuji's or whatever it is you like, when you get the one you like, you know that's it, right? And you enjoy that apple. Well, there's another reality that's, I would start to say, just as real. It's actually more real than you experiencing something like eating that apple. And that reality is the one we're going to talk about. And we're going to be comparing the two and talking about how they interact. But really for us to, to really get to where God wants us to be personally and individually and getting to a place where He wants us to be what He's called us to be. Each individual one of us has a calling and a purpose in this life. The Bible says God knew you from your mother's womb. Okay, How much further back can you get than that? He knew you. He Actually, He knew you before that. He created you from the beginning. And let's just say it this way. You were assigned when you were, when you were procreated in your mother's womb. And God knew you. And he, had, he individually created you and had a plan for your life from that moment on. And you're uniquely created. There's nobody just exactly like you. So I'm not sure about that. Well, doesn't everybody have a unique fingerprint? Only God could do that. Where on a little, something as little as like one by one inch, God could identify you or make you identifiable as a unique created miracle. I didn't even plan to go into that. But, but you are unique and created by Him and He had a plan for your life. And, and for us to, to be everything He's called us to be, we need to become, and this is becoming more real to me, we need to become more and more attuned to this other realm, this other reality. And it may seem a little hard to fathom at the beginning, or it may seem a little hard to fathom as you go through walking out your life with Jesus, but we're supposed to be progressing to where we get so much more in tune with this other reality. They might ask, are you there yet? No, I'm not. But, I, I, but as Andrew said, I've left and I'm on my way cause I, and I want to get further down the tracks on this to where this other reality is more real to me and more tangible, even though it's not contacted with my five physical senses, more tangible to me than this stuff that I can touch, that I could sit on or that I can experience in this natural earthly realm. And so that's the challenge. And so the question I want you to ask yourself is, Am I there yet? And if you're not there yet, then this, this teaching is going to be for you. And so I want you to come and I want you to hear it. If you have to miss, I want you to get to listen to it online. Because I really believe that the Lord has a, a purpose for us hearing this. And that He's taken us to a focus on a different level, a greater level than where we are. We were created to be spiritual beings that live in earthly bodies. And I'm getting a little ahead of that because that, that's going to be part two of this. But 
you're you're not just a hunk of flesh walking around on two legs. That that's what differentiates us from all the other animals or the animals. We were not created as an animal. I don't care what you learned in biology in school. Well, that was not our. We were created. If you read Genesis chapter two, one and two, we were created to be a higher level being than them. None of them. I am getting ahead because we're going to talk about this next week. None of them did God breathe into them his own breath. He just spoke them into being. Man, on the other hand, he formed him. And then not only was that special, but he breathed his own life into Adam, into mankind. And, and before he did that, he said, let us make man. Everything else, he said it, it was different. But with man, he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Okay, well, what is God like? It's a simple question. It sounds really, really spiritual, doesn't it? But it's a simple thing. It's like, well, what is God like? Well, God is a spirit being, and he has three parts. And so that's the way he created us to be. We get so focused on the, the visible, the natural part, even Christians, that we lose sight of who we are or what we were created to be. And I'm going to stop there, I'm gonna, or I'm going to teach part two, and we're not even in the first part of part one yet. But... Anyway, that, that's just where we're going with this because I really believe God is wanting us to get more in tune to things going on. Now, I'm not talking about wooey-wooey and all these spirits and all the stuff you're going to hear about this week or you've been hearing about the past few weeks that the world is celebrating because that's, that's on the other side of this realm I'm talking about. That's the dark side. We're not interested in that other than to be aware that it's out there. But what I'm talking about is not the wooey-wooey. I'm talking about the God kind of spiritual realm. I'm talking about where the Holy Spirit operates and what He's doing in the universe and what He wants to do in you and through you. And for us to, to really keep plugged into that, we've got to be more spiritually aware. I'm not saying turn off your physical awareness because God uses that, you know. You ever teach a little kid, don't, don't put your hand near a hot stove? <laughs> There's, that physical law has a spiritual meaning too. <laughs> You're going to get burned. That, that red, hot, glowing element means something. Don't get near that thing. And so there's a lot that the physical works with the spiritual, but there's another reality other than this physical reality. If you go through your life just living in this physical realm and all you ever experience and all you ever work through is just this phys physical realm we live in, you are going to be a one-dimensional, unfulfilled, probably little in communication with, with God kind of person because he, he primarily operates in a spiritual realm, a different reality. So let's get into this a little bit. I want you to see, lest you just think I'm talking a bunch of hooey or whatever, we're going to look at, a, today I'm just introducing this, we're going to look at a number of scriptures that refer to this spiritual realm, this other reality. I would say we could call this other reality the true reality. Because it superseded this natural reality that we live in. And it supersedes it on a daily basis. So let's look in. The, the text scripture for all of this each week is going to rely on, on uh, what we learn in this verse in 2 Corinthians 4.18. If we can put that up on the screen, that would be good. Because we're going to be there um, a little bit each week. But I, I want to spend a little time reading this one to you. 2 Corinthians 4.18. And it says, While we look not at the things which are seen, okay? Seeing is in what realm? The physical, right, because you see with your physical eyes, right? But it says, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are 
not seen. Well, now you think about that for a minute. How do you look at something that's not seen? <laughs> that, that almost sounds like a contradiction, right? I'm looking at something that I can see. But this says we're supposed to look at things we can't see. Well, how do you look at it? You must have to look at it from a different part of you than you're looking with the things that are seen, which you've got to do that with your eyes, right? You know, sometimes we, not everybody has perfect vision. Some people lose vision in one or the other eye. Sometimes we need a little help with some of these things, either short or distance or whatever. But those are things that we can see with those two organs in our head up there called eyes. But how do you look at something that you can't see? Something to think about, isn't it? It says, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So what's the longer lasting? The things that we see in this room. You look around the room, see these white walls, the roof, this mechanical equipment. Y'all appreciate that more than most of us. Uh, <laughs> and, and this beautiful artwork that we have and stuff. The trees. They're not real, by the way. I mean, they're real. You can see them. <laughs> you can touch them. <laughs> but they're imitation. But anyway, you see this stuff. How do, you, how do you look at something that's not seen? Well, it implies that there's a spiritual vision. There's a vision that's not natural. But it says those things as opposed to these things, because these, these things could be destroyed, right? You know, if this, if this building got torn down, we wouldn't see these walls or the ceiling anymore, okay? But while these things are seen, it says these things are not, they're not lasting. But the things that we could look at, quote-unquote, that are not visible, those are the things that will last forever. Those are the things that are eternal. If you think about that very long, you start considering then which one is more of a priority to me? Is it this natural stuff, this stuff that this, this earth suit I'm wearing does and craves and where I can take it? Or is the higher priority on stuff that's in a realm that I can't see? And this is saying that's where we need to look. So we're going to come back to this verse each week. And next week we're going to take this verse and we're going to go a little deeper with it into the seen and the unseen um, but just to, because we're just kicking this off today, just to get you in the, in the notion of considering the, this unseen realm, this other reality. I want to look at several places where Jesus and where the Bible talks about this other reality. Okay? So let's look at John chapter eight, 18. I'm sorry. John 18, verse 36. And this is when Jesus had been arrested. He, he was in Jerusalem. He had been arrested. They, they took him before the the Jewish leaders, then they, they were mad at him and they wanted to kill him. And so they took him to, to the government leaders. They took him first to, to um, um, oh, what's his name? Herod, the king, the Jewish king. And then Herod sent him back to the Roman governor, Pilate. So here he is before Pilate. And he's being questioned by Pilate. And in, in, um, in, verse, in verse 36... Because he was trying to figure out who Jesus really is, Pilate was. In verse 36, Jesus answered. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, I don't know what Pilate was thinking when he heard this. Because back then, they didn't have Star Trek and Star Wars. They didn't have alien Martian movies and all this stuff. So he probably had no concept of what not of this world really meant. Right? But he, Jesus said to him, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants... Would, not, would, would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. 
Now, I don't know what Pilate thought. He might have thought Jesus was completely cuckoo. What is he talking about? My kingdom's not of this world. What other world is there? In fact, to him, Rome was the whole world. Rome was the world. And here, here's this guy saying, well, my kingdom's not of this world. Because if it was, my servants would fight for me. And Pilate's thinking, well, I'm, I work for the most powerful country in the whole world. Who's going to fight us? You know, what is Jesus talking about? Well, he's referring to another, he says, another realm. There's another realm out here. Not the realm of this world. Was Jesus telling him the truth? Are you sure? Some of you act like, well, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Did Jesus always speak the truth? You got, if you don't believe that, then we, we, got, we got deeper issues we got to take care of first. Jesus was always speaking the truth. What he was saying was true here. This was not a fairy tale. This was the truth. And then if you look over in chapter 19, it's probably on the same page, verse 11, when Pilate was talking about, well, what was he going to do? Was he going to release him? Or was he going to do what they wanted, crucify him? Jesus answered in verse 11, it says, He answered and he said, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. What's he talking about from above? Is he talking about the Roman authority that above Pilate? Talking about Caesar? Did Caesar get... No, he's not talking about Caesar. He's not talking about an authority in this world. He's talking about above, meaning a different realm that's a higher realm than this realm. Whether you take it to mean above, like altitude, higher, or whether you mean it's a greater priority, a greater realm than this realm. Jesus was saying Pilate couldn't have done what he did, except authority was delegated to him from this other realm. Again, was Jesus some nut, or was he talking the truth? We know he was talking the truth here. So he's referring to another realm that is a higher authority than even the biggest government, the biggest kingdom on earth at the time, which was Rome. All right, look in Luke chapter 1. Let's look at a little different angle on this. Luke chapter 1 would be a familiar story. We'll be talking more about this in about six weeks. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 26 through 28. And um, this is when the angel came to Mary, who we know would be Jesus' mother. But in verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. All right, so we probably read that and like, yeah, 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 that's the Christmas story. We've heard that, you know, since I was a little kid. So what, 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 do you, what is this? Well, we, we could read over this and ignore some of the important parts of this, but the key thing I want you to see here is somebody came. This wasn't a man, right? Was Gabriel a man? No, Gabriel was what? An angel, right? And he, we'll, we'll learn in other places, he was not only just an angel, he was one of the chief angels. And who sent him? It says from God, didn't it? Gabriel, one of the chief angels, was sent from God. All right, so let's just pause there for a second. Are angels in the natural realm? No. Can you see an angel right now? I'm not seeing one. I, I, if you can, great. Because sometimes people have seen angels. Okay? But generally, they operate in a different realm than we do. I believe there's angels in this room right now. How do you know? Well, because in Hebrews, it says that there's angels assigned to everyone who is an heir of salvation. In other words, a child of God. So if we've got people in here who have been born again, who are children of God, you got angels assigned to you. Yes! <laughs> and when you're driving down the road with some of these crazy people, you are happy you got angels assigned to you because you don't know what they're going to do. 
And sometimes your angels are working extra hard. Sometimes you do something that's kind of stupid and you make them work extra hard. Okay? But there's angels assigned to you. Now, whether, they're, whether they are right around you or whether they're out on assignment for you or not, I don't know at any given time how that works. But I believe they do go out and, and, and bring things to you or set things up for you. But angels are not in this natural realm. They influence it. They connect with it. But here, what I want you to see in this is not so much just the Christmas story, but see that here is someone who's very high-ranking in a different realm sent to connect with the natural realm. Where was Mary living? I know this sounds very elementary, but I want you to follow this so you get it. What, what realm was Mary living in? Huh? The physical, the natural realm, right? Mary lived in Nazareth. That's a physical place, a town. She lived there. She was, she was engaged to a physical man named Joseph. That's what it just told us, who was a descendant of King David. Was King David a natural man? Yes, he was. And so this supernatural being, we'll say, came when was sent to this natural girl named Mary, made a connection with her, so these two realms connected, right? Because Mary did actually see Gabriel and heard his voice, which is a little unusual. But she had an encounter with another reality. She had an encounter with a supernatural reality. I don't know if you, but about you, but if I saw an angel, I'd think that's super. <laughs> wow. And so, this was coming together. So, if Mary had a conversation with a, a being that can't be seen, typically, then must there be another reality that's going on that he came from? Another realm? This is a question. Okay. Okay, I just want you to think this through. Don't turn your brain off when you come to church, okay? But just yield it to the Holy Spirit and, and let Him speak to you through your mind, okay? And so, so that's good. Now look down in verse 34. It says, And then Mary said, you know, they had an angel told her what he was sent to tell her. And then Mary, verse 34, said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? Okay, we're not going to go into an anatomy lesson here, but um, if you don't understand that, talk to somebody later. Um, How can this be, since I am a virgin? Because what the angel just told her is that she was going, she was going to be found with child and who this child was going to be, right? Which we know was, was Jesus. And she's like, she's just asking a simple question. It's not necessarily doubt or unbelief, just a simple question. How's this going to work? And, the Holy, and here's what the angel said to her, verse 35. angel said to her, The Holy Spirit, okay, Holy Spirit, okay, Holy Spirit, we, we, we talked to him earlier and talked about him. He's a, what? A spirit. He's not in this realm. He's not a natural person, right? But it says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. So, this is what, what down through the ages, has been called the Immaculate Conception. What Mary was being told and what she experienced in her body to where she became pregnant with a child who we know ended up being Jesus, who was Jesus, but she never knew a physical man. She never had any relations with a physical man. Okay? So that's been called the Immaculate Conception. But what is so awesome and unique about that is, is what I just said. It was a conception from another realm. 
Did we just read how it, was, how it happened? The Holy Spirit was going to come on her. And God's power was going to overshadow her. And this was going to be, become implanted in her. Right? Not physically, but from a spirit being in a different realm. Okay? You say, well, why are you taking so much time with this? We all know about this. Yeah, I know you know about this, but you need to think about this. And you need to let the Holy Spirit reveal something more to you about this. If, that is, if all that is true, then there has to be another reality, another realm, a spiritual realm that all of this came from, right? And if you really think about it, this is the, what I would say is the critical truth that, 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 that contains the, the validity of what we know of as Christianity. Isn't this the difference in Christianity and in, in, or the primary difference? There's lots of other differences. But this is the primary fundamental difference between Christianity and all these religions of the world. And I would tell you Christianity is not a religion. It's the truth and it's about a relationship. But this is the primary critical truth that it's all based on is that Jesus is the Son of God and didn't come to us by two physical human beings getting together. He had a physical mother, but he had a heavenly spiritual father, right? Which is God the Father. There's no other religion whose prophet or leader or whoever was born from a spiritual seed and not a natural one, okay? I'm not picking on any, but but was Muhammad born of a spiritual seed? He had a physical mother and a physical father, didn't he? Okay. Joseph Smith, did he not have a physical mother and a physical father? Yes, only Jesus had a spiritual father, was not born of two natural parents. He had a supernatural father from another realm, and he had a mother from this natural realm like we all did. So he was just as much human as we are, but he was so much more God and spiritual than we were, not than we are now. You've got to keep listening to get the rest of that. But he came from the spiritual realm, and that's the key difference. That's what makes Christianity Christianity is that God loved you so much that He sent, John 3.16, that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would have eternal life. It wasn't that God so loved us so much that He sent us John the Baptist or Elijah or Zechariah or Isaiah or, or Moses or Abraham or any of these other great men of God or Peter, James, or John. It was that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus. And this right here that we read is how he did it. But it was, a, it was a connection between the two realms, the spiritual realm and the natural physical realm that brought Jesus into this earth as a man. He was still God, but he came in as a man. Now that's the critical element to believe about Christianity or you don't have, true, you don't have the true Christianity if you, if you can't believe that. There are people who claim that Jesus was not the Son of God or who was not born this way or from this, from this source. Then you're denying the basis for the whole truth. You've got to believe this first. But in believing this, you're believing that these two realms connected and Jesus was brought to this earth. It's so important. It's so important you believe that. It's so important you understand that. But what I'm here to tell you is we're going to go further from that, that if you understand that, and if you get that, you have to then, by nature, acknowledge that there's another realm out there. There's another reality. There's a spiritual realm where God is. It only follows from that. If you hold that truth, that key truth, then you must acknowledge that God is in a spiritual realm and there's another realm going on 
simultaneously because God and Gabriel were going on at the same time Mary was living, right? It's going on parallel, simultaneously with this. And there are many times where they intersect. This is where God's wanting us to get to. Is we, we've got to, to be understanding this and be believing to be a part of those times where the two realms intersect. We can be the connection. Because God's not wanting them to go just parallel and apart, like these two aisles here. He's wanting them to come together. You can live in both realms. You can live in this reality, this physical reality that you can touch, and you can live in another reality. And it's not being in an alternate universe that crazy people are accused of. You can be in both of these realities at the same time. And in fact, I'm here to encourage you to want to be in both of these realities at the same time because you can live, instead of just living a natural life, you can live a supernatural life. You're not limited to this natural realm. Boy, isn't that awesome to know that God made it possible so you don't have to just, you know, people, some people say, well, I'm just a man. Well, if you're born again, you're not just a man. You are, you are a born again spirit, a supernatural being that can live in two realities at the same time and can experience both and can have the super one, the better one, impact your natural one. Isn't God good? That He made that available to us? That we just don't have to live life like a dog or a cat or a horse? There's more to us than that. And Jesus made that available to us. People experienced it in the Old Covenant, but Jesus made it available that we could live this way. Now, most of us are saying, well, I don't live that way all the time. Well, that's my point. Is He's wanting us to get more and more instead of this going on, He's wanting this to go on. Where we're living in both at the same time. Where we're hearing things to from the Spirit Holy Spirit that's coming from the spiritual realm that we can speak into this natural realm and see things change. See things that could be a blessing to somebody. See things that could be a word of encouragement. The, the right words to pray at the right time that God's leading us to pray. Like we experienced earlier when Toby shared that about the prayer request. Anyway, I'm getting ahead. Anyway, look at Mark. Book of Mark chapter 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So, one book back. Mark chapter 9. Starting at verse 2. And this is the story of what we call the transfiguration of Jesus. Where Peter, James, and John saw Jesus going in and out of this natural and spiritual realm. They, they phys- saw it with their physical eyes. This is one of those times where like somebody saw an angel. This, this is where they saw Jesus going in and out of the spiritual realm. So that's what we mean by this transfiguration. It says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceeding white, and so as no launderer on earth could whiten them. So this explains, it's not natural, natural clothes he was wearing anymore at this point. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And, so let me stop there. Were Elijah and Moses, if you've ever read this before, if you hadn't, that's fine, but were those of you who have, were Elijah and Moses living still at that time? Were they alive, physical human beings on the earth at this point in time? No. When did they live? They lived way back there. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. In fact, uh, Moses probably lived thousands of years before this point in time. So would you agree? In fact, Moses and Elijah didn't even live in the same time frame. 
Moses lived hundreds and hundreds of years before Elijah, died hundreds and hundreds of years before Elijah. So would you agree that these two people had already dead and gone on by this time Jesus came on the earth? Yes. Well, how did that work then? He saw them. They all three saw them. Where did they come from? There's another reality that they had gone on to. And this other reality, they're still living. Which proves to us that when you, when you die and take your last breath, you're not like a dog or a cat. That's not it. There's something after this, which ought to get people thinking. <laughs> what am I going to do? Where am I going to be? Because there's something after this. And Moses and Elijah had gone on to another realm, such that they're still as much alive. Can, if you're not alive, can you talk? They were talking. It said they talked with Jesus. Now, they were not alive in this realm, but they were, I can guarantee you, they were alive, but they, were, they went on and were coming back from another realm and were there, appeared there, talking to Jesus. So again, these two realms came together here on top of this mountain. And Peter, James, and John got the rare opportunity to actually see into both realms at the same time. Like we said, I don't know if you've ever seen an angel, but I'd count it a blessing if I saw one with my physical eyes. But they were seeing something different than angels. They were seeing two men who had gone on hundreds and, or thousands of years before come back, and they were here. So there's got to be another realm, because these two guys were living. And they came back, and they were talking with Jesus right here at this place. All three of these guys saw him. And Peter said in verse 5 to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Well, that's the biggest understatement of the whole thing, isn't it? You think? Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Okay? Now, so Peter, who's operating in the natural realm only, even though he's seeing into both <laughs> realms right now, he's thinking natural. Well, since you guys have come here and you come back from the other realm, let's just build you a tent somewhere you can stay overnight. Okay? But they weren't going to stay. And it says, For he did not... One for Moses, one for Elijah. Verse 6. For he did not know what to answer. You know, sometimes if you don't know what to say, just keep quiet. Sometimes when you, when you say something when you don't know what to say, you, you really say some stupid stuff. But this was Peter. And, and it says, For he did not want to say, for they became terrified. Not every day that you see two guys come back from hundreds of years ago, two prophets of God that you've been taught about since you were this high, and, and, and you actually see them. I mean, I, you, you'd probably be a little terrified too. Just like when, when Mary saw Gabriel. He had to tell her, you know, peace. <laughs> In today's vernacular, they'd probably say, chill out, everything's okay, it'll be all right. And so, Peter was scared, so he's saying whatever comes to the top of his head. Verse 7, then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. What's the voice say? This is my beloved son, listen to him. All at once, they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. So here's this supernatural encounter with another realm where Peter, James, and John got the privilege of not only seeing Jesus in, in his form in both realms, but they saw two guys coming back from the other realm into their natural realm. And not only that, they heard a voice come out of that other realm. We, we believe that was the voice of, of God the Father, because he said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Now, that was a, a, quite a unique experience, and... These three, I believe all the rest of their lives, felt very blessed that they had had this experience, that they had the privilege to, to see this. But what the, what's the point for us today? The point is, is that at the same time all this was going on with Jesus doing his ministry on, on the natural earth, there were things going on in the spiritual realm at the same time. Moses and Elijah were there. They were speaking to Jesus. What were they talking about? I don't know. 
people have speculated, well, they were encouraging him, they were, you know, conferring with him. I don't know. I don't know. what. You know, what would you say to Jesus if you walked up to him, you know? But nevertheless, these two realities came together. The point is, it makes us think about, there's another reality. It's not just this one. They didn't just go up on the mountain and see rocks and clouds. They saw something else that wasn't natural. And Jesus was part of it. In fact, he was in the middle of it all. I'm taking time with this because I want to get you, again, I want to get you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your mind and to your heart about the value and the importance of this other reality. All right, look at Mark chapter 14, a few chapters back. Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62. And here Jesus was talking to the, to the high priest and, and all the Jewish leaders when, when they had arrested him. So we're kind of going back to that point. And um, it says, But he kept silent and did not answer. And again the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, what he just said, is that describing a natural setting, a natural events? You're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and then coming in the clouds of heaven? He's, he's foretelling here about his second coming to the earth. But if he's coming back to the earth from another realm that he's calling heaven and, and at the right hand of power, must there be another realm? I'd say there'd have to be. He's just describing it right here. And saying he's going to come back from it. So Jesus was telling us about this other realm. Then go over into Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. Luke 23 and 43. And he said to him, this is Jesus, Truly I say to you. Now we know this is, this is when he was on the cross. He was being crucified. Remember there was two thieves or two criminals. One on each side of him on another cross. They were both kind of berating him when they, when they got put up there. And then this one guy, it tell, Mark or Luke tells us in his story of it, the one guy then kind of repents and realizes who Jesus is and says, says to him, let's see if we can go back and find it. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Well, here's Jesus dying. His body is, is literally being killed at that moment on a cross. And this guy is saying to this dying man beside him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, if there's not some other realm that he's going to, what is he talking about when you come into your kingdom? He's dying. He's going to be dead. What kingdom are you talking about? He's leaving this one, just like you are. This guy got a revelation. This guy over here got a revelation that Jesus was who he said he was, and he was going back to heaven. So what does Jesus say to him? Does Jesus say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm dying just like you are. No, what did he say? He said in verse 46. No, I'm sorry, 43. Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Now what happened to these two in the natural? They both died. We, we know the, the story of the rest of the story about Jesus. He died. They went and got permission to take his body and they buried him in a cave. Right? He's dead. But Jesus, and you said earlier you believe Jesus speaks the truth, right? Or spoke the truth. Okay? Well, if Jesus spoke the truth, what he said was, you're going to be with me today in paradise. Was Jesus talking about the cave they were going to put his body in? No, because they didn't put the other guy there. There must be another realm. There must be another reality that they were going to and in, in that their spirit mans were going to when this physical body would died. And we know that's, that is the truth. And that's what happens in death at any point for any of us. When this physical body dies, 
it comes to a point where your spirit man can't live here any longer and goes on. Think about Moses and Elijah. That's the hope we have of eternal life. But I'm not going to get ahead on that. But we're going to go to Romans from here, Romans 8 and 9. But I'd like, um, Shala, if you'd come up real quickly, mention this to you, but you've had some real distinct testimonies of things that you have experienced in the spiritual realm. And just whatever the Lord lay on your heart quickly to share with us about one or more of those things that would go along with what we're talking about here. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Um, one of the greatest things that Holy Spirit has been teaching me is about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus came here with these two great commands and missions. One of them was he became a role model for each one of us. He started teaching us about the heart and about spiritual realms, as Pastor Scott was talking about it. Um, when they brought a prostitute to Jesus to be a stone, Jesus said, whoever who has not sinned should throw the first stone. When they were talking to Jesus in Mark uh, 7, I believe it's seven twenty-one to 23, when they were talking about, um, when they saw this Jesus' disciples start eating without washing their hands, they, start, they came to Jesus and started complaining. They said, this is unclean. What they're doing is unclean. But Jesus said, unclean is what comes from the heart. And all, all, all of those evil thoughts that makes a person unclean. So from the beginning, uh, Jesus' teaching was about spiritual realms, his kingdom, and also a heart. And one of the greatest teachings that Holy Spirit been teaching me about our heart being our garden, just like Adam and Eve, that we must guard our garden. We should not be influenced by doubt and temptation that Satan brings into our heart and be focused on the Word of God. When we read Matthew 6.33, it says, First, seek the kingdom. Jesus' focus was on the kingdom. When Jesus walked everywhere, he operated with the power, through the power of Holy Spirit. When we read the Acts 10.38, it says, Jesus started his ministry with the, when the power of Holy Spirit came upon him. It's the same with us. When we read in Act 1.8, it says the power is going to come upon you and then go preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead. So the thing is, we are in an um, atmosphere, in a, in a room that supernatural happens. When Jesus um, was baptized, when he came out of the water, the heaven was open above his head, and Holy Spirit was set on him. It's the same thing with us. Anytime we raise our hand and we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the heaven opens above our head, and Holy Spirit comes upon us and lives within us. And that's the kingdom we have. That's the atmosphere we have anywhere we go. Jesus was in such a close relationship with Holy Spirit that any time healing happened or was going to happen, Jesus would know it. 
That was the kingdom he was carrying with himself wherever he went. Why? Because there was an open heaven above his head. And they were angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. As he said on 1 John 51. It's the same way which each one of us. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we receive Holy Spirit. Am I correct? So we, be- we have the same spirit as God has. And we became son of- sons of God. So it's the same thing with us. Our atmosphere is the atmosphere that Holy Spirit flows through it. And angels are ascending and descending. That's why, as Pastor Scott said, in Hebrew 1.14, it says God sends his angels to serve the believers. This is our atmosphere. But we must dwell in the kingdom. What is the God's kingdom? It's his words. What does our commands or his word is love. When we read Matthew 22.37, it says, First love the God with all your heart with all your soul, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. Farther we go, he commands. He says, I leave you with one command, and that's love. When we read John 13, 34, 35, Jesus says the only way people would know that you are my disciple is when you love other people. And when we read the book of 1 John, it says the only way you would prove to me that you love me is when you show love to other people. And don't show my, your love. Show my love to other people. So that's, that's when you operate in um, uh, love, in the commands of God, in the word of God. That's when we have Holy Spirit flowing through us. And that's way when we hear Holy Spirit talking to us. Just as we saw Toby start talking and praying over Phyllis. Am I right? But it was the same way with Jesus. It it was the same way with so many ministries that as soon as people enter into that ministry, into that kingdom, they receive it. They receive their healings. It's the same way with us. But how can we do that? First, we have to remain in in love that is the ministry of God. And we should not do anything to grieve the Holy Spirit, as it says in Ephesians 4.30, and quench or stop the flow of Holy Spirit into our atmosphere, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do, do not quench the Holy Spirit. When we're talking about the quenching, that means quenching means to stop the flow of the Holy Spirit in our atmosphere. I remember so many times when I am at work, I never go to any place without submitting myself to Holy Spirit, without asking um, um, for God's protection, and also submitting myself completely to Jesus and Holy Spirit. I have had so many experiences that they have problems in the operating room. Blood pressure doesn't work. They give you medication. As soon as I come in, everything gets fixed. They might not notice it, but I know. And at the same time, right at the same time, I raise my hand in my heart. I say, Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you. That I know this is your presence. Praise be only to his mighty name. 
I haven't had any patient die under my hand because I never do or do anything in my power. I completely submit myself to him. I, um, we were in Nicaragua. I, um, I remember we were uh, praying over people. As I was standing there, suddenly a lady came and she was crying. When I saw the tears coming from her eyes, she was crying because she was having severe headache because of the high blood pressure. And suddenly, as I was standing there, I was just praying. I was praying in, in heavenly language over everyone, just standing there. Suddenly, as the lady came, I was moved. And I was moved with tears. I was in tears. And when I saw her, I went to her and I touched her. As soon as I touched her, she looked at the other lady who was a translator and told her in Spanish, my headache is gone. Do I have all that experience all the time? No. (laughs) But praise the Lord that as Pastor Scott said, I'm not where I used to be. I am moving toward the place I should be. But am I the only one who has this power? Is Toby the only one who has this power? Um, is this church is the only church that people come and receive the healing and the great word of God? No. When we read Romans 2.11, God says, I don't show favoritism. Father loves all of us the same. So this is each one of you. The kingdom is on each one of you. It's is on our shoulder, but we have to be gentle and we have to be starting to have relationship, close relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that's when we see the kingdom operating in our atmosphere because it's not our power, it's the power of Holy Spirit through us. And so many famous ministers I see, one of them is Kathleen Coleman, I was listening. Holy Spirit has been leading me to, um, to her teaching recently. And I see, and I, one of the teachings that I was listening, she was talking, and suddenly she says, there is a person with cancer who is going to be healed on that row. Did she know it? No. But she, all this power, all this wisdom, all this information came because she led Holy Spirit to flow through her. We must treat Holy Spirit as a person who lives within us. Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. Jesus was a person who had feeling. When she saw Martha and Mary crying, when they lost their brother Lazarus, Jesus, it says, when Jesus saw them crying, he started crying. When they, uh, they talk about the woman who was crying because he, he lo- she lost her only son, they said, Jesus moved with compassion. And I'm sure and you have a be- better definition of ca- compassion. is when you move, move out of love, deep love. And this is so interesting that Jesus had feeling, was influenced by the pain we were going through. And it's the same with Holy Spirit. That's why in Ephesians 4.30 it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 it says, Do not quench Holy Spirit. So with all this, even though power is on us, but we are still are in charge of our hearts. God is a mighty God. He's gentleman. Our God is a gentleman. He would never force himself on us. It's us who would 
seek his kingdom and get into that close relationship with Holy Spirit. And, it, and then all these mighty things will happen. When we read Matthew 10, 7, can you read that? Um? And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, okay. Um, can you, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. So that's what Jesus' one-on-one ministry which each one of us. Some people are praying for healing hands. It's that's, that all of this comes from the kingdom. That comes through the kingdom when we allow Holy Spirit to flow through us. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Scott. And I like what she said. She's she's not perfectly continually got all of this down pat, but she's working on it. It's getting better. And and thank God for the experiences that she has had that any of us have had with this other realm, with the spiritual realm. All right, I'm, I'm going to read, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to look at these, this chapter and into 9. And I just want to share this with you. We may skip a few verses here and there. But I want to share this with you because here it's talking about Jesus in this other, this other realm. Okay? And we're going to wrap this up. Don't get nervous. Oh, Lord, he's starting a new scripture. It's all right. Hang on. All right, Hebrews chapter 8. Now, the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. Who are we talking about here? Jesus. Right. It says, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle. Now, we know that they had a tabernacle tabernacle and a temple in the Old Testament. And up to Jesus' time, they had a temple. But this says it's the true tabernacle where Jesus is in heaven. That must mean there's another realm. It must mean that that's a better, more powerful realm than this one. It's the authentic. It's the first one. It's the true tabernacle, it says. Which the Lord pitched, not man. I want you to get some of these words. You might have glossed over these if you ever read this before. This is a tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow. Okay, Get these words, true, and then the one on earth is a copy and a shadow. It must mean there's a more real one in another place, in another realm. These on earth are a copy and a shadow. Let's see if I can find my place again here. Um, let's see. Verse 5. Who were a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. See, when Moses had them to make this tabernacle tent that was their church building, so to speak, or church location, back there, the children of Israel in the wilderness, he didn't just dream all this up. He went up on a mountain and God showed him into the spiritual realm, showed him what this thing really looked like in heaven and said, now see, now you go and you make it just like this. But it was a copy, right? It wasn't the real one came down out of heaven down there in the desert. He had Moses come down and have him build it just like he saw up there. All right, verse 6. But now he has obtained, a capital H, he, talking about Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, 
which has been enacted on better promises. So here we have again, it's the, we have a comparison of the earthly ministry of the priest and the earthly tabernacle to the heavenly one in a different realm. And it's saying that this one is better. This one, the spiritual covenant, this new covenant that Jesus, the new high priest, and how did he come? He came as the spirit, he came from the Father, right? Came from God out of the spiritual realm. He's a better high priest because of that. And he then is the priest of a better covenant based on better promises. Would you rather have me promise you something or God the Father promise you something? Which one's going to be the better promise, Carl? I know you like me and you love me. But you'd rather have God make you a promise, right? Okay, okay. Hopefully I won't ever let you down, but God will never let you down. You know that. So you'd rather have His promise than one of our promises. This is what this is saying. There has to be two realms if there's, if there's better promises from a different place, right? And so it goes on to say, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second one. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant... We know that, don't we? Now all die in the, in the desert. Yep, all that original generation died in the desert. And I did not care for them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he made the first one obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So this earthly natural covenant, this earthly natural religion, Jewish religion or what all, Jesus came and fulfilled that. He, he said that. He said this is fulfilled in your hearing today. And he fulfilled that and brought a better covenant because he was God. We just read how he was born from the Father God. He brought a better one and that made the old one disappear. The old one was here in the natural realm, right? But the one he's bringing to appear for us to see is in the supernatural. All right, read on. Nine. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared and and an outer one in which there were lampstands and tables and so on and so forth. Uh, and behind the scene, verse 3, was the second veil in the tabernacle, which was called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which there was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded, all these things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 6, Now when these things had been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, meaning the Holy of Holies, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Verse 8, The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing. See, all this was a symbol of things that Jesus was going to come and fulfill. You couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. The presence of God was there. And, and you were a sinful man. You had, you had no way of paying for your sins. People who tried that didn't end up coming out. That's why they tie a rope around their ankle when the priest went in there. Because if they dropped dead in the presence of God, somebody had to drag them out. Well, they couldn't go in, so they just pulled the rope and drag them out. 
We don't have that problem today. Aren't you glad? Verse 10. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washing regulations for the body, talking about your natural body, imposed until a time of reformation. Verse 11. Here's what I'm getting to. But when Christ appeared, how did He appear? As a high priest, He was born of what realm? The supernatural realm. Thank you. When He appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. He didn't go through the one Moses made. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood, He entered the holy place, the holy place, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who had been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, Jesus didn't kill a goat or a bull or, or a bird or whatever and go in the Holy of Holies with His blood. He took His own blood and He went to the real deal. He went to the real Holy of Holies, the one that this one down here was patterned after. He went to the real one and presented it to the real king and paid the price once and for all. If the blood of a cow or a goat could temporarily take the place of your sin here on earth back in the old covenant and kind of cover it up for a year because they had to do it every year, how much more the, the real blood of the Son of the living God, what could that do when it was presented in the real Holy of Holies to pay a price? God was like, that's it. There's no, more, no greater price that can be paid they're all paid for. It's done. That was the plan all along. To win you and I back, re- redeem us. We got deemed or doomed, you might say, to death and hell from what Adam and Eve did. But Jesus came to redeem us and pay a once and for all price and present it at the top of the house in the true realm, that other reality where God lives, and say, Father, would you receive my blood? I'll pay for all of them. He could do it. Nobody else could do it, but he could do it, and he did it. And why did he do it? He did it because he loved you, but he was the only one that could do it. And when he did it, you didn't have to do it over again every year. Has Jesus gone back to be crucified again since he got crucified 2,000 years ago? No, he hadn't. I'm I'm glad he hadn't because nobody's ever been killed and tortured like he was. But he doesn't have to because his was the perfect sacrifice. It doesn't have to be redone. It's a one-time deal, and he did it. And he did it because he loves you. We could go on and read. I'm just going to skip down to verse 23. It says, Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in heaven to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, he's been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await Him. And then if you turn back to chapter 1, we're going to look at the first four verses there. Hebrews 1, 1 says, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, 
whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, which we're going to get into that next week. But there was another realm that made this realm, and Jesus was back then. He was part of that. Verse 3, And he is the radiance of his glory, and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. And you think about that too. All things are upheld by the word of his power. There's another realm that's keeping this earth spinning. There's another realm that's keeping it on a cycle. Day and night, summer, winter. There's a realm that's keeping the earth from spinning off its axis or the sun come crashing into the earth and kill us all. What is that realm? It's the realm of God the Father who by his own words is keeping this thing in order. I'm glad there's another realm because this earth is not perfect. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So, there's another realm. It's a better realm. It's the realm where the Father is. It's the realm where Jesus is. But the the third part of God, the Holy Spirit, was sent back down here to the earth. And you just heard some good testimony from from Shala in the earlier She shared about a dream she had that she felt the Holy Spirit had led her to do. We could go around the room and and y'all could share testimonies of how God has spoken to you by the Holy Spirit and warned you about something or told you something or helped you pray the right words over some situation or over somebody or helped you to make the right decision. Maybe He didn't speak in an audible voice, but maybe He led you by that peace He gives you in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit. That's this other reality intersecting with your natural reality and, and taking you beyond where this natural reality can take you. I'm just wanting to encourage you to have more of those intersections, to be looking for, be expecting, be believing, wanting to be a part of more of those intersections, because otherwise you're just limited to your own natural thinking. You're limited to your this, own, this natural five physical sense realm. There's more to it than this. In fact, that's the true reality. Come back next week. We're going to talk about how that reality actually created this one. But that's the true reality. That's the one that that you're going to experience a greater life being connected with and intersecting with as often as you possibly can. Amen? Amen. I'm going I'm to ask you just, we don't do this every week, but I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and, and let me just ask you some questions and, and you just get in touch with your heart and let God speak to you. But if you've heard this today and you all this is like either just way out there to you or foreign to you, or you've heard this and you're like, you know, I hear this, I, I, I understand this, but I'm not plugged into this. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm looking on the outside, and I'm not a part of this that's being described here today, but I'd like to be. Well, I'm here to tell you that if you, if you know Jesus, if you've asked Him into your heart, you're a part of this, but if you haven't, it's just as simple as that. Is it, Jesus said, to Nicodemus in John 3, he said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But he said to Nicodemus, You must be born again. And while we have a decision, what he's saying is, I'm going to give you the answer. You need to be born again. Because you need to be able to see into this kingdom and be a part of this kingdom like Jesus was. And be receive. See, God, God has prepared all of this for everybody that's living on the earth, that ever has lived on the earth, that will ever live on the earth. He's calling you His children. Whether you have received His adoption or not, He's calling you His children. But you don't want to be called His lost child. You want to be called His adopted child who's, who's been allowed to be adopted. But all you have to do is what it says in Romans 10, 9, and 10. is believe in your heart that Jesus was the Son of God, 
that he was who he said he was, that he died, was crucified, buried, resurrected, and then confessed with your mouth. So I'm going to give you an opportunity if you hadn't ever done that. In fact, we're just all going to, we're all going to pray this prayer. And if you, if you want to receive Jesus and you never have, just pray this prayer with us. And you mean it from your heart. And you confess Him with your mouth. Now there's, there's a time where you need to confess Him before men. But you can confess Him into your heart right now. Just say, Father, I thank You for Jesus. For sending Him to die in my place and pay for my sins. Jesus, I thank You for Your sacrifice. I believe in You. I believe in where You came from. I ask You to come into my heart and live big in me. I thank You for dying in my place. And I receive You as Lord and Savior. And brother, Father, I thank You that Your Word says that if I would confess Jesus, I would be saved. I receive Him now. And I thank You for sending Your Holy Spirit to live big in me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Principles of Faith with Scott Gray. This message is brought to you by Hope Church. If you would like more information about Hope Church or to listen to more Principles of Faith with Scott Gray, please go to www.hopechurchnc.org. That's www.hopechurchnc.org.